Hi, friends, and welcome to the Story Forge Podcast Outbreak Edition once again. I'm Lyle Smith, your host, and today I have a chat I recorded about two weeks ago with an old friend of mine from my hometown, John Waldron. John is a member of the State House in Oklahoma, a state I don't know much about personally, but I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to chat with him and get a glimpse into what things are like in that State House, in that state government and how they're dealing with it, and his pretty interesting story of how he got there. He was a career history teacher in the public schools. He lived much of his adult life in Oklahoma, and we get into the reasons behind how he ended up there. Uh, And thanks mostly to his outspoken stance on public education, he was recruited into, or cajoled into, running for the state house seat uh, in 2016. He lost his first run, but won in the 2018 cycle and found himself leaving the teaching profession, presumably for good, and becoming a politician. He's smart, he's savvy, and he cares about people, which for my money are the three most important things you can have in a state representative. It's from a couple of weeks ago, about 14 days since Oklahoma and several other states started opening up their economies again. It remains to be seen how all of this develops over time, but of course, we all hope we're making the right decisions these days. Public policy isn't really the focus of what I'm doing here, but I thought it would be valuable to get a glimpse into a part of the country I don't know much about, and most of us don't hear about unless you live there. For the record, I've invited my own congressman, Bill Posey, to have a chat here too, just to get a Florida view uh, from another perspective. I haven't heard back yet, but I remain optimistic. So here's one view from Oklahoma. I hope you enjoy it. Um, so there are nine of you in your family. There are. I am the seventh <laughs> middle child. Wow, the seventh <laughs> middle child. That's funny. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, much lower in status. Yeah, so it's funny, you know. I I, I know your family. I know your right. your your history a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we grew up in a small town. You're, yep. you're, we we both still live in kind of small towns, uh, different types sure. of small towns these yeah, days. Yeah, Tulsa is a big small town. Yeah, it, you know, it's not like living in the big city, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, um, what was what was your what was your life like growing up and, and with that many kids around yeah it was uh you know it's uh it's hard to find uh, uh people with similar backgrounds um we grew up in this big old ramshackle house uh which was falling down around us and mm-hmm. you know my mom would ring a bell and we'd all come running in for dinner and uh you know we all wore hand-me-downs and we all went to catholic schools together and we'd pile into the volkswagen uh, Be- uh, beetle to go to church it's amazing how many Walgreens you could fit in a beetle. Uh, and, uh, you know, we ate big meals around the table and uh, laughed a lot and cried a lot and fought a lot. And we are very close uh, still, I think, as a result of having that experience in common. We do Zoom calls every Sunday night now since it started. Well, none of us had big families ourselves. There's 14 in the next generation. So oh, we okay. have these big family gatherings where we get all the cousins together and they kind of reproduce the effect of the Waldron family collectively. So, yeah, yeah, there's not as many as there used to be. I mean, there were, there yeah. were a handful. I remember growing up, there were a handful of families like, like the Dooleys and the Coates yeah. and, and you, yeah. your family. Yeah. All yeah. like many, many kids. The Ridgeways and, had a bunch too. Uh, the Ridgeways. That's right. They yeah. had a bunch of kids. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, um, 
So it's, it's, it's not as many, you know, the families are not that large as they used to be, no, <laughs> but yours yeah. is, but yours is kind of far flung too. You're kind of like, you're in, you're in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, one of your sisters is in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. how, how far flung are you? Well, there's like, um, uh, the, the splatter pattern is, uh, <laughs> the dispersal pattern is like, there's the New Jersey cluster and then there's two in Pennsylvania and one in Massachusetts. And then there's me in Oklahoma. I'm the right. furthest out. You're the furthest yeah. out. All right. Yeah. And you, uh, your career, uh, mm-hmm. like you said, you went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, another quick little tidbit, if I'm not mistaken, you, you had. I had a certain uh, English teacher. Well, you did have a, have a certain, I was going, that wasn't where I was going, but yeah, you did have a certain <laughs> English teacher. Uh, and you're not the only one who I've interviewed no. on this podcast who has had my mother as an English teacher. <laughs> uh, and speaks very highly of her too, which, oh, is, yeah, is, yeah. which is lovely for me. It's, it's yeah, great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I spoke to jo- Jody Nardone last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, all yeah. about music and everything else. So he, mm-hmm. was, he was raving and raving. because oh, yeah, yeah. he, he felt like, he, like she gave him uh, wind in his sails, like a lot nice. of confidence that he he maybe wouldn't have otherwise had, which I yeah, think is a, is a great thing, you know. And you're, you're yeah. I mean, your your background is in education, and your background yeah, yeah. in in, in yeah. all that. So you know, tell me about that. Where how how'd you get well, into you know, education? You know, you start talking to your students and you're lecturing them about something, and all of a sudden, Mrs. Smith's words are coming out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, That's yeah. funny. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, you know, you have as a teacher, at least in my in my, you know, I used to say, uh, you know, I had some good teachers, I had some bad teachers, and I could count mm. the the number of really awesome teachers I ever had yeah. on one hand. Yeah. And um, but those were the ones who really seemed to connect in a way that the others didn't. So it was some way they, they either, you know, inspired you or changed the way you thought about something or, or, or whatever. And uh, I've never been in one of your classes, but uh, yeah. I know you enough to think that you've had that impact on, on your students from time to time, at least. Yeah. Well, what, what did they say about that teacher in the, the movie back to school? He's really committed. Or maybe he ought to be. Maybe he ought to be. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, but, you know, you have, you had a, uh, you know, was that a, you know, because we have careers and we have things we want to do. And then sometimes you have callings and, and yeah. uh, vocations, if you like. Mm. Um, you know, uh, how, how, that, that was Tell a story, about, actually. Yeah. So I went, I went to UVA, Wahoo Wah, and then <laughs> and studied uh, history. But then I got into international relations, and mm-hmm. I went for a graduate degree at GW, got my mm-hmm. master's in international affairs. Um, and they had a guy there who was working on a program that brought grad students into a local classroom to talk about world affairs. And I started um, helping him out with that program. And then I ended up taking it over after he graduated. And the next thing I knew, I was, you know, I mean, I was working and I was studying and I was taking the foreign service exam, but I had mm-hmm. this epiphany one day where I realized that I had the happiest time for me in the week was the two hours I was teaching this class. Wow. So I took, I did a 180 and, uh, and taught in DC public schools for five years um, before I followed a girl out to Tulsa. And uh, 20 years later, I finished out my career teaching social studies uh, with Tulsa public schools. What's yeah. the, what was the difference between teaching in the D.C. public schools compared to teaching in the Tulsa? I mean, because you made that shift after yeah. five years. Yeah. What's the, uh, you know, what did, what did you see as a, a big difference? 
Oh, well, let's see. Um, racial politics were important in both school districts, but the dynamic was different. Mm -hmm. um, DC, for all the money that they poured into the public school system, was very primitive in lots of ways. Like our building didn't have air conditioning, except wow. in the principal's office. And wow. I had an old black and white rotary telephone on my desk in a hallway. And that was, you know, I mean, on the other hand, it was before No Child Left Behind and you had absolute freedom. So I remember dividing my kids into two traditional Arab families and they had to negotiate a wedding between the son on one side and the daughter on the other side. And they just did all this cool research and made it happen. And, um, you know, we just did, we did a trial. Uh, we did Marion Berry's uh, crack cocaine trial. Oh, wow. uh, we reenacted it. And the kid who played his defense attorney was in the office with me one day when Mayor Barry walked in. <laughs> that oh, that's funny. That oh my gosh. Teachable. He didn't walk in on the class, mind you. He didn't, yeah. He never saw that, but, oh, that's and funny. they acquitted him. The class acquitted him. <laughs> <laughs> Very but, good. I remember following that in the news. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, interesting times. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. But Tulsa, uh, Tulsa has its own issues. It's, it's still, you know, it's got a lot of the South in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of racial disparity, a lot of economic disparity. And I taught at a school that on the one hand was, uh, it was Booker T. Washington, go Hornets. And they were, <laughs> you know, it was the first black high school. Um, but uh, when we, uh, after Brown v. Board and after some federal court orders in the 70s, they used Booker T. as the integration school. And they came up with actually a really neat voluntary integration model. So they, mm -hmm. they instead of busing the black kids out, which was what was happening all over the country, they got white kids to come in by offering a new educational scheme at the school. So it was, became a magnet school teaching all kinds of interesting stuff. And they had a really groovy faculty uh, when I started there of all these people who started in the 70s and they like just invented their own way through everything. And they oh, built these cool. great traditions on top of some existing great traditions at the school. And um, so I really loved that atmosphere and the chance to do things my own way. No Child Left Behind changed a lot of things because suddenly it was all going to be about test scores and mm. you know, the standards got, they got really serious about enforcing the standards. But I taught a lot of electives and subjects that weren't tested. And I was the only guy in the state teaching an advanced class on the history of Asia. So oh. I could still do things my own way. I was off the radar for right. a long, long time. So I was very privileged that they didn't know what I was doing. And so <laughs> I was, you know, had a lot of freedom in my classroom and had a lot of great students come through and I was very fortunate. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you see a lot, there was no child left behind, there's... Um, what the Every Student it? Succeeds uh, Act. Uh, yeah, and then there was, um, my son is 10 years old. Oh yeah, and he, And he's in, um, he's in the local public elementary mm -hmm. school. And he's had, a, fortunately had a lot of really good teachers, I think. And uh, the thing that always impressed me, and maybe this is my, my background keep uh, creeping in on all this, but it's um, the teachers who made you think, the teachers who made you be curious uh, or encouraged curiosity were the ones I thought I learned the most from. Yeah. You know, and you're teaching history. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little different maybe teaching mathematics and grammar yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, this is right, this is wrong. But, you know, when you start interpreting things, right. uh, I think curiosity is an important component of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always prefer to deal in questions rather than answers. Right. And you, I forget what year, but it's your, you're in your second term now? 
Yeah, no, that's right. I was elected yeah. in 2018. I first ran in 2016. Yeah, so you ran, you somewhere along the line, you decided to run. Yeah, I got mad. I posted something on Facebook. And to run for the state house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, or somebody convinced you to run for the state house. Yeah, my, uh, my house rep uh, was a teacher before he got in. And so he started oh, encouraging terrific. me to do it. You know, and halfway through that, I, you know, I considered it and I rejected the idea. I thought I was really better off as a teacher. Right. But things got worse in Oklahoma every year. We went right. through, we had the Great Recession hit. And then we elected a Tea Party um, platform that, uh, that believed in flat budgets. So mm -hmm. the budgets fell and then the Tea Party kept those, that flat level while we added 40,000 students to the population while all these needs increased. So the system just got groaned and groaned and it was getting close to a breaking point. And, and I reached a breaking point and posted on Facebook that I was going to run for a state Senate seat, uh, which was crazy because that's like 80,000 people. And we knocked 25,000 doors. I was up against it. I swear to God, a, a former college football coach mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and Sunday school teacher and a hell of a nice guy. And, uh, he was very popular and then it was a big red district. They had like a 17 point advantage in voter registration in the district. Oh, wow. A little bit because of how they draw those districts. Incidentally. Sure. But sure. It came within six points. You know, okay. I, mean, I was one touchdown behind. <laughs> I remember it being a good run. And then, yeah, it was, uh, that, was, that was a great race. Yeah. And was, how'd you feel after that? Deflated, crushed. You know, um, but also I knew that that was just the beginning that I was going to run for the house seat next. Very good. Um, I mean, I was crushed for me, but then I watched what was going on nationally. And, uh, and yeah. you know, I was crushed for a lot more than, you know, my little state Senate district. Right. Um, so I kept involved and I ran again in 2018. Mm -hmm. I have faced a, a primary challenge and a general, um, but one by 11 points or so. No, 17. I think my margin was 17. It was good. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's a victory, man. That's that's yeah. not to be ignored yeah. right there. And actually, I just you, I just was reelected on Friday uh, on account of nobody filed against me this time. So I oh, suppose very good. Yeah, yeah. if you knock tens of thousands of doors and you know <laughs> get all these cards, and people are going to be like, I don't want to face that kind of trouble. Well, you know, I'm always torn because I've seen these, and, and growing up in, in the area where we grew up, we, we saw mm -hmm. a lot of like uncontested races and local races. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that always kind of bugs me a little bit because I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, you want to see some competition, you want to see some right. different right. ideas, and you know, push yeah, yeah. me, you know, go ahead, push me. It's okay, we'll right. see. Right, right, right. We'll see, we'll, we'll see which one wins out. Good lord! In Bernardsville, uh, it was almost like it's the Irish candidate versus the Italian, and then the Italian candidate. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all Republican, and it's yeah, yeah. And, and and in that and in that locality, it really didn't matter what party you were in. Really, yeah. Yeah. it was just yeah, you know, you are who you are, and you either took care of the people you who voted in, or you didn't. Right. And that's the beauty of local politics. That's, that's uh, nice. Yeah. Even yeah. up to state politics too sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I mean, they been... feel like you're, you're paying attention to them, if they feel yeah. like you're listening to them, you can get through. Yeah. I've been taking calls today from people who are trying to file for unemployment. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. can I help this one person in front of me? Right. I mean, and yeah. you got you to gotta keep, keep your eyes on the prize that way. Yeah. Um, that's I, I, did, I helped out a friend who was running for our local school, school board here. And uh, our local district tends to, or our county is, is the district, uh, which was really weird to me when I moved to uh, Florida. The, the district, the school district was the county, yeah. which was huge compared to where I grew up, where the school district was the town. You right. know? And there was a yeah, hand, yeah. handful of schools. Yeah. And now I moved to a place where the school district is 83 schools. Yeah. And it's a whole different world. And, which uh, town are you in? 
Uh, we're in uh, Rockledge, Melbourne, kind of central mm -hmm. Florida, e due okay. east of uh, Orlando. Okay. So, uh, out towards the Space Center. Oh, cool. Uh, we affectionately refer to ourselves as the Space Coast. And um, <laughs> nice. yeah, it's cool. It's, it's a lot of cool people, uh, yeah. regardless of their, you know, political persuasion. It's, mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who care about their families and care about their kids and all that kind of stuff. So you have to kind of, you know, as, as tribal as people want to make it, yeah. um, if you tend to focus on the people, I, I think you're better off. Hmm. You know, yeah, I don't know if that's how you find it. But. No, 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 no. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, so. and uh, you know, because in the end, you know, like now, I mean, we all have to stay healthy. We all have to wear our masks and and stay home as much as we can, and all that kind of stuff. And that's for other people. Yeah, that's not for yeah. me. I mean, it's a little bit for me, but it's mostly important for important lesson. Yeah, there's right. a limit to individual liberty. There's also <laughs> responsibility. It's there's more. There's more than one side to the coin. Yes, that's right. So yeah, so you so you lost the first one, and mm -hmm. then you won the second one. What right. was the, by, by a significant margin, yeah, yeah. yeah. what was the difference? The difference was the way the district was drawn up and my pre-existing name recognition. I yeah. flipped the, uh, the equation. In the first race, I was an unknown mm -hmm. uh, in a red district. And then I was the known candidate in a slightly blue district. Yeah. I still had an, an interesting primary challenge. I mean, talk, tribalism cuts both ways because yeah. primary fights are ugly. They can um, be very bad, yeah. Right, they, they divide families and friends and stuff, and, and often needlessly so. Um, and then, uh, uh, then I had the general, um, and by then I had knocked, you know, uh, 7,000 doors. I went on to knock another 5,000, and that's the beauty of, of local elections. It's like, hello, how are you doing? I'm, I'm your neighbor and your candidate for office. And I really got to know a lot of people. I mean, I was taking a walk about a mile from my house the other day, and there are these two old ladies uh, sitting on their porch. And I'm like, hey, I knocked on your door, didn't I? And they're like, yes, you did. I was like, you weren't feeling well last time I saw you. Oh, I'm feeling much better now. Thank you. And, oh, that's funny. But those yeah. are the kinds of things. I mean, that's, you know, they talk about retail politics in the, in the primary, yeah. the presidential primaries being yeah. a big difference. And that it really is because, you know, they feel like you know them. They feel like yeah. you're one of them. You know, and I yeah. talk about this in my business where we talk about, you know, I did a whole thing on, on crisis communications and having mm. whatever you send out during a crisis uh, yeah. for, your, for your business or whatever to try and make your customers remember um, you. Yeah. It, a big part of it is this expression of empathy. They have to know that you're, you know, if not on your team, at least on the same team. Yeah. You know, and they have to feel like, no, look, we're, you know, we're, I'm feeling the same thing you are. So mm -hmm. it makes you uh, more memorable. It makes you more, you know, and, it, and you can't make that up. You know, it's yeah. not the kind of thing yeah. you can't just, you can't, oh, express empathy in, 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 in insert empathy expression here. You can't know, have, that, you have, have, been, have been given notes on their cue cards to be empathetic, but that's. No, you have to really mean it. You know, right. that's, what, that's what really makes the difference. And, um, and, and that's a real thing. And you see that in the, uh, in the, in the primaries, you saw that in the 2016 presidential election mm -hmm. is, is like, uh, if you really, you know, uh, meant what you were saying, yeah. that would, that would resonate more. Right. Um, right. or it seemed like you meant what you, what you meant anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, indeed. So that's cool. So you got in, so now all of a sudden you mm -hmm. are 
-hmm. out of the school district. You're not teaching right. anymore. And I remember a statement you wrote after, after you left, after you left mm -hmm. teaching. Yeah. And I remember being just a little bit like heartbroken about it. Cause I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, that's so, you know, it's like this because you have this mission for so long yeah. and then yeah. now you're doing a career change and right. it's right. still important. It's still good. Yeah. It may be, you know, more important in some ways, uh, but it's, um, you're yeah. leaving something that you really loved. Right. My freshman, I used to get, when it was a kid's birthday, I would stand up on a table and do this weird birthday song for them. And they all did that. They say, they sang it back as my, as my goodbye song on the last day. It was my, Oh, captain, my captain moment. Oh man. Yeah. That's yeah. something. That's yeah. something. That's gotta, well, that's gotta feel good. You know, you're, you're making an impact on people. Yeah. Right? And then, um, so you make the shift from education to, uh, I'm not going to say politics. I'll say governing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Public you know, so you're, you've gone into, you know, the, you've, you've had the, the, the elections done, the campaigns done. So the politics has, yeah. hasn't passed, but it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's transitioned into now you have to govern. Now you have to produce right, right, right. for whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, how did that feel? Well, you get a big case of imposter syndrome as soon as you go in there and you wonder like, what the heck am I doing here? I don't know how any of this stuff works and, you know, I'm not qualified. And then you, you calm down a little bit because you realize a lot of the other guys aren't qualified either. Right. Um, and uh, you've got to, I mean, it's about building relationships and figuring out how the systems work. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means you've got to look at the, I mean, like what I tell my government students when I see them now is that I would have taught it differently with oh, this experience because you've got to like i'd be like okay you guys are going to be you guys are going to be the republicans over here and you're going to be the democrats and you're going to argue out of policy but nowadays i'd be like okay you guys are the politicians over here you're the lobbyists and you guys are the bureaucrats wow, <laughs> no, um, wow. i mean but that's that's really sort of insightful now yeah. well I'm, you've had it you've had the insight so now you you get to you get to look right. at it I differently mean, yeah politics uh, the decisions are made by the people who understand what's going on or who have access to the information and the levers of power. Right. And, um, and they can be a one or two or more steps removed from the voters. Right. Um, but also at the same time, I, we don't want to have a, um, we don't want to strip our political class of expertise. No. Um, and we talk about term limits and we don't like professional politicians, but how about somebody who's studied healthcare issues for eight years and is on the committee, uh, you know, he's chairing a committee and knows all the players involved. Um, those guys can make better and more informed decisions. Right. And you really have to respect the people who have studied uh, issues in depth. The issue I'm trying to make uh, my, my own is uh, teacher education. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to, I want to focus on that one, be as well versed on that as possible. Right. And I had a good, I had what I thought was a good teacher ed bill uh, get halfway through the process this year before everything shut down. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and man. I mean, what I guess I'm saying is that politics is complicated. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be afraid of experts mm -hmm. uh, and we shouldn't dismiss a politician just because they've got a lot of experience uh, in understanding how things work. Right. Um, and a lot of time the politicians have more in common with each other than with the guys on the fringes of their parties who right. come shooting at them for not being far enough to the right or far enough to the left. And the purity tests. Yeah. Right. The purity tests very... guys. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, when you get people around a table and they've studied the issues and they know what's capable, what's possible, mm -hmm. they can make good bargains sometimes and, and make things better.
And sometimes the tweaks they're making on the system are things you would never think of, but turn out to be really important. Like, right. um, you know, should health, should uh, cafeteria workers be allowed to file for unemployment in the summer? You know, that was yeah. an issue that came up. Yeah, if you work in a school cafeteria, uh, you're technically still employed over the summer months, but you're, um, uh, many of the people will just go and get other jobs and they'll find out that those are better than school cafeteria jobs. So they right. won't come back. Right. If you give them unemployment, they're more likely to come back. Of course, next tier, tier two question is, why does the job suck so bad? Right. Is it, you know, is it the way we're paying in the healthcare and stuff? And couldn't we make a better social contract for those guys? Right. Now you're having a good conversation. Nobody runs for office on raises for lunch ladies, but that's a good, important issue that's worth digging into. Well, yeah, but that's a, but that's a thing, you know, there's the famous, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't remember who to credit this to, but they say you, you campaign in poetry and you mm. and govern in prose, yeah. but it's, it's, those, those are real, those are important yeah. questions for those people. Those are, yeah. those are questions that those people are thinking about. Right. And the rest of us are like, we're on the outside, like reading it in the paper or watching it on, you know, God forbid, watching it on local news, <laughs> uh, which is not as in depth. That's all I mean. No. It's not as in depth as when you read about it. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's uh, it's tough to to come to an informed decision, an informed mm -hmm. opinion about things, right? And when you're not, you know, in up to your knees on these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, because I come, you know, historically, we both grew up mm -hmm. in, a, in in affectionately known as Blue Jersey. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you, a red pocket of Blue Jersey. A red pocket of Blue Jersey, and you moved yeah. to uh, Oklahoma, yeah. and I, yeah. I re fairly recently moved to. Florida, which is a yes. different experience right, right. for me. And uh, I like to think that when I make a political argument to a friend or a colleague or whomever, yeah. uh, it's, it's reasoned and, 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 and based in some kind of reality. But, you know, since at least about, what, 2009-10, we're in a world that's not necessarily based in truth and reality. And right. it's, yeah, more, yeah. it's more based in, you know, emotion. And I believe yeah, this. Yeah. And media bubbles. And media bubbles, yeah. yeah. So what's your experience with that? Um, well, yeah, I think that's true. And it's true um, uh, all the way through. I, there are fundamental differences of opinion between even Republican and Democratic legislators who, you know, have access to uh, more, who are in a business to need to know about things. We still tend to look at things through different lenses. Mm -hmm. um, just before we closed session, we voted on a bill that would cut unemployment benefits from 26 weeks to 12 weeks. And the argument on the one side was, was, you know, if we don't cut those benefits, then people are never going to go back to work. It was a very low, un low employment economy at the time. And, uh, and our it's not like we were paying out a lot of money in unemployment, but right. it was also the week that Saudi Arabia and Russia had um, cut the, had, had their big spat. And this was a week before we went into quarantine. And I right. got up and I asked the fellow, I mean, do you, are you sure this is the right time to be doing this? And right. his ideological, he was very dogmatic about it. I mean, you've got to have a, a limited government. We've got to protect the taxpayers and we have to make sure everybody is working, uh, is exercising their individual responsibility. And my p position was that, you know, actually the, that it's not that easy for a lot of people on the lower end of the economic spectrum. And there's lots of reasons why people might not be working. Right. And by the way, also the roller coaster is nearing the top of the hill. So this is probably not the time to do it, but you see it through a red lens or a blue lens. And right. uh, 
I of course chose a story in which the blue lens was the right one, but um, <laughs> I'm sure you could reverse that as well. There, well, yeah, I mean, it's true. And, and I keep, you know, I look at some of the arguments people are making now since the, since the pandemic has, be, yeah. has reached America yeah. and has, has really changed the way we're living. Right. Uh, and I see some of the arguments that some of the more extreme siders are ma- on both sides, really, but on, yeah. on, certainly on the right side are yeah. making. And it, it keeps rem- I, I hear echoes uh, and you're a history teacher. You tell me mm-hmm. if this sounds right. OK, uh, I hear echoes of the, the potato famine in Ireland in 1845, mm-hmm. six, seven. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the British Parliament, the, the Tories, the, the far mm-hmm. right, the, the, the conservatives yeah. of that age, yeah. They're saying, oh, we can't just give them anything because right. they'll come to rely on it. Right. And in and years from now, they'll be, they'll be on the dole forever. That's why and, we should eat their babies. Well, exactly. And, when, and when, these are real arguments they made. <laughs> and, and they made, and they, I mean, these are not cartoons. These are real yeah. arguments. And, um, and they said things like, and so in the, the end, in the end, yeah. Uh, a million Irish emigrated to America, mm-hmm. a million Irish emigrated to Australia and other places, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. a million of them died of hunger and hunger-related yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah. And there was a million of them left, and that was about right. it. And yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was horrific. And right. so you know whether you look at politics from a you know uh, an economic perspective or from a social mm-hmm. responsibility respect- perspective. I think it would be hard to argue that those were bad arguments. Yeah. You know, just the, the, just the is, people of your own country, you know? Right. So I think that means that you have to be willing to look at the times that you live in right. and, and wonder and try to identify whether you think they're changing, whether the old formulas still apply. I like to go to Lincoln, who maybe his genius was to be one of only a handful of people at the time who could see how events were changing our history right. um, and to put it in that larger context. We have to have a 13th Amendment because only uh, Congress can change the Constitution and end slavery, and we cannot uh, leave it to the states because they might try to restore slavery. And mm-hmm. after 185,000 African-Americans have borne arms in defense of this country, it changes the situation and the, no, the old rules no longer apply. So we must have a revolution. And you know. What followed, we never teach it this way in the history books, but the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments created a second, a new constitution. That right. was a revolution on the scale of 1787. And we're still fussing over the 14th and 15th Amendments today. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I and mean, we're still arguing these, these things. And, and again, it comes down to this concept of purity. Um, right. You know, I, I believe this and nothing else. Right. And, and it's hard to, once you pin yourself into that space, either as an individual who, this is what I believe, this is what I was raised yeah. on, I, yeah. I fly that flag because it's, it's, it yeah. shows my heritage of whatever, yeah. Yeah. versus um, a, a politician who has now painted themselves in the corner say, oh, yeah, I'm going to fight for that. Right, right, right. right. So yeah. you're kind of stuck. Right. Um, and it's tough. It's tough to yeah. get out of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, sometimes it takes an extreme moment, not right. unlike what we're living through. Yeah. To... Like public schools. Yeah. I've always been a big defender of brick and mortar public schools, and I've mm-hmm. been skeptical of remote learning. Uh, and meanwhile, in our state, this private uh, private firms have sprung up that offer uh, public 
remote uh, charter schools mm-hmm. for profit. Mm-hmm. So we pay the, the, the money follows the student into the private school, into the charter school, okay. which is virtual. Okay. And, uh, and they've been offering what I think is not the best form of education. It looks like they're complying with, uh, right. with state standards, but it's not what I see as real learning. You know, which okay. is done in a classroom with the teacher and students. And, right. You know, maybe the teachers in the front, or maybe they're sitting in a circle. But you know, it's got to be that interface experience. Right. But what if this epidemic, which could keep coming, rolling out in waves for us, what if it fundamentally changes things? What if uh, our public schools were twenty years behind the curve in embracing new technologies? Right. And they've got to change. I still think the teacher. And the teacher-student relationship is vital. And that's why you can't reduce everything to a set of standards. Right. You've got to create these unique experiences for kids. But I almost said in the classroom. Right. And maybe the thing I've got to change is <laughs> that that doesn't necessarily happen in the classroom. And I think, I think there's some truth to that. And I think um, you mentioned these businesses that provide this business model that, and they provide the whole, it's like the whole nut, including, you know, it's, it's the, it's the technology, it's the curriculum, it's the teachers. Right. Now what we're, what we've come into now is like all of a sudden our public schools in my district are now trying to provide the educate, the same education they were or, or something comparable. Yeah. Yeah. And there they've been, uh, wrestling and struggling to get the right technology to deliver that. Right. So maybe the, maybe the solution is a combination of both. So yeah. you have, you have some version of the classroom experience online and some, some technology that del- yeah. is able to deliver that yeah. with, um, you know, uh, effectively and, and, right. and reliably. Thesis meets antithesis and you get synthesis. Right, right. I mean, that's it. Exactly. And it's, um, and, and they're doing okay. They're wrestling yeah. with things. They're yeah. having tough times yeah. getting everybody to log in yeah. at the same yeah. time and, I know. and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of feeling like if I had to leave education, this might have been the right time. <laughs> you know, I don't have to adjust all that. It's, called, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And, and actually, it's funny because my son's teacher lives in our neighborhood. And so we see her going for walks in the evening and whatever. And we yeah. chat. We chat at a sufficient social distance yeah. across the street, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and she's struggling with it. She's doing. I think she's doing a, a tremendous job. But it's um, and some teachers are are struggling more than others, and as you would have. But you know, I think if you can have both of those components, but have the educator lead the way, yeah, you're going to be better off than yeah. trying, trying to just provide a a package right. solution to anybody. Exactly. The chapel yeah. is in Oklahoma. We've had an exodus of teachers from the profession for more than mm-hmm. 10 years. We've had so that, that in our county too. It's, it's, yeah. been a struggle. it's been a struggle to keep them paid um, mm-hmm. well enough to stay, you know, right. it's tough. It's a hard yeah. one. You know, Never it, mind it, that we took away so much of their autonomy in right. the last 20 years. Right. So then and we had to underpay them too. Yeah. yeah it's a nice <laughs> and blame <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, of course. I think, course. yeah, I think a week into this, people realized how valuable teachers were in the lives of their, of their children. Right. Well, I've always, I've always made an argument because I, I worked in, in corporate America for a while. And, and I've always thought that I think for big companies, like the really the biggest of the big companies, I yeah. think the CEO should be required by contract yeah. to work like, I don't know, in the mailroom yeah, yeah, yeah. two weeks out of the year. 
Right. And was and the just mystery boss or what was it? Yeah, show? something like that. But no, actually have him be the boss. Just go and work in the in the okay. job and earn that money. Yeah. That that the mailroom guy uh, yeah. or girl earns for that mm. two weeks or that month, yeah. so that they they understand what it is those people work for yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I don't, and, and, and I know there are plenty of CEOs, they're good, I don't want to say they're bad people, they're not, they're not yeah. bad people, they're, they're just, yeah. but, but I, I've, met, I've known enough people who have done very, very well in their lives to realize that there's a point, I think, where they, um, they kind of forget what it's like to have to work for a living. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't, they remember, they might remember, oh, I worked in this such and such, whatever, but they don't remember what it's like to really have to. Yeah. Right. You know? And, and, you know, you I have to make, for granted. right. And it's like, I can't go buy that thing, whatever it is, because right. my paycheck's not coming in for two weeks. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, 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 I think it's important for all of us to kind of understand, you know, the shoes other people are walking in. Right. Now that we're all, so in some ways we're all in the same boat together and we keep saying that but uh it's the one end of the boat is awfully leaky that's and, true uh, <laughs> that's true um, and uh things may be others may be uh they they may be rising a little bit but that's only because the boat is sinking from the other side right maybe right. maybe it's time to recognize uh that healthcare is a right for everybody and that we're all better off if we have a unified if we have a health system that provides everybody access because right. viruses and you know education uh, is universal that needs to be that needs to be accessible to everybody and that may mean that um, you know the internet is a utility and you have a right to wi-fi access too because we can't really afford to leave so many americans behind um, the nations that succeed in the 21st century are going to be the ones that can overcome challenges like COVID-19 and we have not done well so far. No, not well. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I always say, I had, a, I had someone ask me one time, uh, it, was, it wasn't really an interview, I was going in as a consultant, but they were asking me, they're kind of testing me and they said, um, you know, you came up with this idea, but what about competition? And what about other people stealing your idea and others? And I said, you know, I've, I've never really been afraid of competition yeah. because I've always thought that my ideas are better, you know? And I would rather have everybody, you know, all right, if I come up with a great idea that other people can use, yeah, let them use it. I'll come up mm -hmm. with a better one the next step down the road. Yeah. And I think if we, and that's, and that's what both sides, I mean, that's what, you know, that's what the right wing likes to say all the time. They all like, so yeah. competition makes everybody better. Right. And it's, if you let them compete, yeah, absolutely. But if you, if you put your thumb on the scale and say, no, well, you can compete, but you can't have healthcare. You can right. compete, but you can't have internet access. And your incarceration rates are going to be three times the others. And you know. yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not a, you know, they, they like to talk about level leveling the playing field, but that's not leveling the playing field right. in my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, but I digress. <laughs> mm, no, yeah, but I mean, we are kind of getting at the nature of what's going on in our society today and how this is going to, if we need to have a fundamental change in our society because this crisis exposes our flaws and weak points and, um, and that affects everybody. I you know, we've, had, we've allowed this attitude to spring up about how like everybody, the myth of absolute autonomy, everything I, that happens to me is based on, you know, how hard I worked and, you know, and virtue no. and things. 
And, you know, I don't see why my tax dollars have to go to pay for all these freeloading loafers who don't work and get all these government services. Right. And, I, and I'll say to them, you're talking about school children, you know. But it's a much bigger, like most things, it's much yeah. more complicated than we like to admit. Yeah. Um, so, so it's April 13th. Mm -hmm. um, Ooh, time to file and, my taxes. <laughs> it's, you're good till July now, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but it's April 13th, and yeah. uh, we know what's being reported in New York and California and Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, Florida is um, is behind, like every place is behind on testing, but yeah. um, you know it hasn't really hit here the way it has in other places. How is it? You are. That's because all your spring breakers left and brought the disease over to our state. Oh, damn them. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> true. We've got, we had five new cases reported in Tulsa County overnight. Um, 18 people have died of the disease. Yeah. Uh, our death rate is 4.87% yeah. in Tulsa County, which is about a point above, maybe a point and a half above the national average. Right. And I, the way I looked at it the other day, with um, we've had 99 deaths across the state and probably um 30 or so people would if if oklahoma's death rate was at the national average that'd be the difference of like 30 people yeah um, and so uh, on the other hand 99 uh deaths uh, all told is pretty small uh compared to what's going on in new york right and it's easy to minimize it's not we haven't had um cases confirmed in every county in oklahoma yet and it's easy for rural Oklahoma to take this very differently than urban Oklahoma is. So you can find, you know, if you go out to um, a town, to a Walmart in a town in rural Oklahoma, and people aren't going to be wearing masks and, right. uh, and observing as much in social distancing. But in a city like Tulsa, things, a lot of things are locked down. Right. Um, it reflects some of the deep divisions in our society. Um, and... You know, on the one hand, we're going to suffer more than we might have otherwise if we mm -hmm. had taken more precautions. But on the other hand, we're going to look at states like New York and say, well, you know, we did better than they did. Right. I mean, some of that is the advantage of being in the middle of the country. and Right. And you're not the travel hub. You know, you're not That's the travel right. hub Fly that New York state. is. Well, I don't mean to dismiss it Keep at all. Keep flying over Oklahoma. Just yeah. But, you know, JFK has been a yeah. very busy airport for a very long time. Yeah. yeah, right. But, I mean, if you go next door to Arkansas, which took Medicaid expansion, we right. still have it. And their death rate is a lot lower than in Oklahoma. Oh. That yeah. should be a lesson. Yeah. We've, uh, no, I was going to say, so, so have, you, have you hit the, the per we're gonna curve hit the yet? Uh, eight days. We're eight days off yeah. of our projected yeah. peak. Yeah, so um, we're about but, the same as we are here, give or take. Right, and, but yeah. then we're going to hit the hospitals are going to peak around the 3rd of May. Yeah. And we figure 11 days uh, hospital stay uh, mm -hmm. is going to be necessary for those guys. So that means our peak hospital capacity, we're going to be surging from the 3rd through the 14th of May. Mm -hmm. We're already short of PPEs. Mm -hmm. uh, um, nasal swabs are a big issue. So we're way behind on testing. Though we yeah. claim that it's available everywhere, we don't have the material for that. And I have a funny story about that, actually. The, um, uh, I, our governor appointed a czar to oversee the PPE collection, and he kept referring to him without naming him in our conferences. And finally, he did name him Gino, but he didn't give us his last name. So I did a little digging, and his name was Gino DeMarco. And I'm like, oh, no. yeah, well, 
it's Italian name. One thing I miss in Oklahoma, I miss Italian communities. There's like one about a hundred miles away. Um, I'm, I'm an Irish American, so my national dish is lasagna. Right. Um, but, <laughs> so, and well, I, I had taught some girls named DeMarco. And okay. sure enough, Gino's their dad. Oh, wow. And by a second track, I'd heard from a student who, a former student now in Beijing and because uh, we offered Chinese at the high school. And one oh. of my students in Beijing said, you know, there are factories that are, are making PPEs that are looking for orders. And she connected me to one in Shenzhen, China. Okay. And it, I, so I contacted my student in Shenzhen. And she, she was like, okay, yeah, here's the factory. And, you know, you can have it audited before you place orders. Here's how you do it. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. And I passed all this stuff along and I got the feeling that it got swept under the rug. Right. So I contacted Mrs. DeMarco got Mr. DeMarco's email address and sent him all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, could you put me in touch with your kid in Shenzhen? Because then we can have somebody on the ground to help us uh, smooth right. away the difficulties. She speaks Chinese. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, okay, Megan, can you get in touch with Mr. DeMarco? And she's like, oh, is that Brianna's dad? We were in cheer together. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's really so. funny. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because we started this whole thing out when I started asking you about your, your shift to, to, to the political life, yeah. uh, you said it's all about relationships. Yeah. And it, it, it really kind of is, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, I used to let my, I lost my dad about a year and a half ago. And, and, uh, when I, yeah, and, I and uh, thank you. But when I, when I, <laughs> I spoke at the funeral yeah. and I said this in the church and it, it, it's funny because everybody's sad and, and whatever, and, and, but it got a laugh. And I said, you know, you know, that guy who knows a guy, yeah, yeah that was my dad my dad always <laughs> knew a guy whenever he talked to he was like oh i know a guy let me put you in touch with <laughs> and um and you know it's not like the godfather style i know a guy it's just like yeah. you know, i know a guy who does that so let me yeah. you know, let me connect you and it's and my dad loved people and that's it you know and when people when people communicate with people and when people connect connect that way in a relationship yeah. way right. you, you can right. get things done and you, you stop right. worrying so much about you know i believe uh, and it's like, I yeah. believe I want to do good. Okay, right. let's do that. Right. That's yeah. a different kind of social networking than we get in social media. No, I think that's true. I think that's true. And I see a lot of that going on around now. There's, you know, because there, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of fear and a lot of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I make, I didn't make fun of it. I wrote a thing about it and said, we're not fearful. We're not informed. Yeah. No, that's the big thing. It's like, we're informed. We're less fearful. Right. And, um, right. but there's a lot of people who are afraid. And when, when you can reach out personally, yeah. uh, which is hard in a, in an yeah. age of social distancing. Yeah. Um, but even through a mask, if you can say, Hey, you know, can I help you reach that thing? Can I, right. can I, you know, here, no, you take that parking space. I'll take the other one. Yeah. Um, those little you things know, mean a lot. People are much more civilized face to face than they are keyboard. Absolutely. To keyboard. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Um, so there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Um, and I, I asked you about this online one time. Uh, when you were running, or maybe it was after you got elected, yeah. you instituted uh -huh. something you called office hours. Yes. Which yeah. I love the idea of. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of fits into the relationship thing because you're meeting people yeah. face to face, which is hard yeah. now, but right. it won't be hard forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk to talk to me about that. What what, so, what got you thinking about that in the first place? Well, I, I always did office hours with my students for about 10 or 12 years. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, a kid would be behind or need to make up a test or help right. need help with something. 
and you could schedule an appointment after school, but these are teenagers. So their chance of showing up was about 50, 50. Right. So uh, I think I fixed a time on Sunday afternoons mm -hmm. where I could sit at a coffee shop okay. uh, at a Starbucks and, mm -hmm. uh, and you could come if you wanted. And if right. you didn't come, well, I had papers to grade. And so right. I'm not agitated. And, uh, and I found that if you didn't give them a fixed time, teenagers were much more likely to show up. Right. Uh, and so I did that for a long time. It was a great way to build relationships with kids because you could meet them outside the school context. And so, right. So I picked a diner in the middle of my district and held office hours there. Um, it's, uh, it, it's been an interesting experience because it's, um, my district is very settled. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't get a lot of phone calls from people generally there. Right. Uh, a lot of, a lot of retired folks, a lot of working class people who are, um, who aren't, going to show up at your door and demand change. Right. But I met all kinds of people uh, sitting at this, at this uh, little local diner. I got to know the staff there and I'd have regulars. I had one guy who came almost every Sunday. Oh, that's funny. Uh, old TK, I miss him. Um, and uh, when this is over, I'd like to reinstitute that kind of face-to-face -face thing. Um, I might move it to like a library near a bus stop so that everybody, uh, there's no... Oh, that's uh, to, I want to have as few barriers as possible for people to come to talk to me. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Cause I know we've had moments and it's, it's usually only when you're angry about something, you're like, Oh, where's their phone number? I want to call them up. And, yeah. uh, but to be able to reach your representative in, yeah. a, in a human way, you know, right. Uh, right. is, you know, even if it's, even if it's just, you know, come up and shake hands and say, you know, you know, I voted for you. Thank you. Or yeah. I, did, I didn't yeah. vote for you. And here's why yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it makes it more real. Yeah. Right. And it's no, it's not more like go read your constitution. It's, it's like, no, this is like a real thing and it's real people. And you know, our constitution, uh, mm -hmm. state or federal is only as good as the people who maintain it. And they're people. And that's the thing that office hours did a good job of letting folks know that I wasn't, you know, this blue guy or this red guy. I was a guy, who, yeah. you know, liked, you know, like to have you know, bacon and eggs for breakfast. Right. Um, right. And we really have to do that. I found knocking doors in the district that you, you have three, three things you need to do. You have to introduce, you have to, dis you have to engage, and then you have to make the ask. Yeah. In the introduction stage, um, you have to disarm the other person's pre-existing suspicions. Right. I came to the end of a guy's driveway once, and he was working in his garage. So mm -hmm. I wasn't going to go to his door, and I knew his name because modern day elections, you've got the voting information right. at your fingertips. So I called out his name. He comes out, shoulders up, down to the end of the driver. He's very, he's pissed. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I think he figured I had a subpoena or something. <laughs> and, uh, so we have this conversation and it goes, uh, and if you can get a conversation to go out to five minutes, right. uh, that's the goal. Right. There was this point at around the five minute mark when his shoulders came down uh -huh. and he like opened up and, uh, and he was like, when it was over, he was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to vote for you, but thanks for giving a damn. Right. And that's face-to-face, door-to-door politics is, is a beautiful thing because it lets you break down those walls uh, that right. we build around ourselves all the time. And, you know, I miss that. Uh, I sure hope we can go back to some of that when this is over. I hope so. That's, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. It really is. And I, I had yeah. that experience with my, my candidate I helped uh, at the school board level. And oh, she yeah. was, she was really nervous about going out into certain neighborhoods and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I just told her, you know, the best advice I can give you is listen, 
You know, if you, you know, I, I say this to my 10 year old son, I don't know if you do, yeah. but I, I, I make a point of, of reminding him that he has two, uh, two ears and one mouth. Yeah. Right. And you should probably listen twice as much as you speak. That's a good lesson for curbing your drinking habits too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, in the even in though the, you've got two hands. <laughs> in the days of quarantining and day drinking, yeah, I think. You're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's a real thing, and it's and she found that she said you know she came back yeah. to me after a couple of runs, and she she was like you know that was probably the best advice I've gotten is just to you know yeah make them just if they feel like they're being listened to, like your yeah. guy said, thank you for giving a damn. Yeah. Um, that's that's a huge victory. Even if they don't vote for you, that's still a huge victory. You know, right. it, it lightens right. the load. It it it, yeah. it 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 turns the volume down. Yeah. A bit. Right. 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 I think I love making friends or at least neutrals out of enemies. Right. You right. Know, that's, that's the best. Thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I wish you luck. I hope everything uh, turns much. out well out there. So yeah. Oh, no, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. So yeah. here, I'm going to do one kind of like okay. sign, sign off and then I'll, I'll hit the record. So, okay. uh, so thanks, John. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your yeah, time. Good to you. talk to you, Lau. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I hope some people get some uh, perspective uh, from the public mm -hmm. policy standpoint yeah. on what we're talking about here and uh, uh, take care. Okay, cool. Thank you. You too. You'd be good out there in Florida. Stay healthy. Likewise. So that's a glimpse from inside the State House in Oklahoma. Uh, also a glimpse from inside of education in Oklahoma. So thanks to John Waldron for that. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation very much. I hope you did too. And something else happened this week that made me think of a story that I wanted to share here today. Jerry Stiller passed away this week at the age of 92. He was half of the famous husband and wife comedy duo Stiller and Mira with his wife of 60 plus years, Anne. He was also father of actor, writer, producer, and comic voice of our time, Ben Stiller. But probably he was best known to those of my vintage as Frank Costanza of Seinfeld. His passing has little to do with the focus of this show, except that when I heard he died, I was reminded almost immediately of how many things I'd seen him in over the years and how much he always made me laugh. And I think that's important these days. His death was not related to COVID-19, which is something that kind of bugs me that we have to all seem to have to say when someone passes these days. But from Seinfeld to Zoolander to the Rush tour films he appeared in, every time he turned up in something, it made me smile. I remember a short film he did in 1987 where he played opposite a young Ben Stiller he was a shoeshine man on the Staten Island Ferry, giving the young financial whiz kid a little bit of time about his obviously tough day. Did you win today or lose? He offered advice to the young man and he rolled his eyes. He got down on his knees and he shined the young man's shoes, making a point about a good shine making a good impression. And the film ended with a little bit of a twist. And the film ended with a little bit of a twist you probably could have seen coming if you were aware they were father and son. It was a quiet performance, unlike so much of his other work, subtle and lovely. And every time I saw him after that in anything, it made me smile and think of my own father. It's called Shoeshine, and if you can find a copy of the movie, please let me know. I'd like to see it again. 
but be sure to watch it. I'm not sure what Ben thinks of it so many years later, but I remember it very well and very fondly. So Godspeed, Jerry. We'll miss you. Thanks for listening. Be careful out there. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts or we're on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces numerous podcasts, including the truly excellent A Guest in the House, about all things hip-hop. The music on the podcast was provided by Jody Nardone and the Jody Nardone Trio, Lights Will Guide You Home album. And if you'd like to send us questions or feedback or suggestions for other subjects or guests, you can reach us through the StoryForge website. That's thestoryforge.com, all words separated by hyphens. Or you can email us at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H. Thanks very much. 